1: To New Books in Spirituality and Mindfulness, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Jack Petranker. I'm one of the hosts here. And today we're going to be talking with Ira Helderman. Ira's new book is called Prescribing the Dharma. So, Ira, welcome.
0: It's my pleasure.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad to have you here. I think it's a really interesting book, and, and I'm sure this is going to be a great a great conversation. So, so to start off, can you tell us something about your background and and then how you came to write this book?
0: Sure. So, in, my background is a little unusual for uh, religious studies. I uh, this is religious studies is actually a second uh, or at least second. <laughs> um, Path for me. I am a practicing therapist. Uh, I've been working in the mental health field in in one capacity or or another since 2001. And um, it was as a therapist that I first, you know, was introduced to material that I was told was uh, Buddhist teachings and practices. Um, And I was introduced uh, to the idea that that Buddhist teachings and practices could be helpful in, in, in psychotherapy. At some point, I became curious about that, about uh, how therapists, many of whom define themselves as not religious practitioners, were drawing from traditions that they also defined to be as religious. And it was in part that curiosity that led me to totally change uh, my life's direction and take up a whole new path. Uh, of religious studies, and, and I be, and I began working towards a PhD in uh, religion. Um, my degrees uh, in religion is, is religion, psychology, and culture, and I began that in two thousand nine. And the ultimate culmination of those studies is is my book, Prescribing the Dharma.
1: Okay, great. Um, I, so th- that really is a radical shift. You you tell a story in the book about attending a conference at which the Dalai Lama was speaking. And uh, it, it was a conference for psychotherapists. And it just struck you as strange or, or remarkable that uh, a group of psychotherapists would be looking to a Buddhist spiritual teacher for guidance in, in how to be better psychotherapists. Um, but still, you know, from from that moment, of thinking it's strange to deciding you were going to make a radical shift in your career. That's a big jump. Could you say something about that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's probably a lot to say about it. I mean, I pinpoint that moment because it, cause I can actually remember that moment as, as, as being uh, a shift. I, I, I imagine lots of people sitting in the room with the, with the Dalai Lama have had <laughs> shifts of, of various sorts. Um but the but the fact is is that for a long time I had thought about uh the way in which people defined psychotherapy as not religious and the way they often defined uh help uh, around um you know mental health and well-being uh as coming from what, what usually they would use the word spiritual sources, but also religious sources um, and religious communities. And and so I had been thinking about those dynamics for, for some time. Uh, But it it was that moment in in the conference room of looking around again, a conference sponsored by uh, Cambridge health Alliance, affiliate of uh, Harvard medical school uh, and thinking so many of these practitioners, probably not all of them, but so many of them define themselves as not religious. And they're listening to, you know, what was once a theocratic uh, leader of a nation state and for, for, you know, so many people, uh, a, a deity. Um, and um, and and that that encounter is not unique. You know, there, there are lots of other factors that led to, to my actually taking up religious studies uh, scholarship. I was had been working in a university counseling center for some years and was thinking of going into private practice. But in thinking of leaving the counseling center, I had, you know, my, my, the paths, many paths were sort of open to me as much as anything. It came from conversations from uh, the person that, with the person that ended up becoming my first reader, my, my dissertation advisor, a man named Volny Gay, who is a kind of classical psychoanalyst of religion, which means uh, a, psych- a psychologist of religion, which means that he would use psychoanalytic ideas to interpret why people are religious, in what way are people religious, um, and you know, he, you know, was one of the faculty, one of the lead faculty for this uh, program uh, in religious studies on religion and psychology. And um, as much as anything, it was it was out of conversations with him that when I was thinking of I'm leaving this counseling center, I'm starting a new phase of my life. What what am I going to be doing? Um, and, and I knew what I was passionate about.
1: Okay. So so I'm curious about, about that, you know, before you made that shift and you were in the counseling center, were you, were your clients mostly students then, or uh, is that the group you were working with?
0: So the counseling center I worked for was, was really unique, um, you know, at the time, it was unique. It is it is very unique now in that we did not just treat students. We treated the, the students. We treated undergrad uh, and, and then graduate students, so med students, law students, so on. But we also treated faculty and staff and then dependents of students, faculty, and staff. So, uh, you know, I was working with undergraduate students, graduate students, faculty members, you know, partners of, of faculty, faculty. Um, Children of staff members. And so, you know, it was it was, it was a training site um, um, for a lot of people and they were able to get a, a, a wide um, expansive of uh, experience. Um, incidentally, I was working with, with divinity students and, and they were definitely some of them, you know, some of my, the, the famous people, not famous, my favorite people, uh, to, uh, work with.
1: Okay. So, so yeah, that leads me to, to where I was going with that question really is, is, um, b- before you made this shift, did you find that spiritual issues, we'll, we'll, get into what that means, but did you find that those were, um, coming up in, in your work with your clients?
0: Well, I, I think that um, when you say "well, define what that means," that's that's kind of the key, <laughs> the key piece there. So, uh, what I'll say is um, my my answer then is actually the same as my religious studies scholar answer now, which is that there were there were many people that defined the issues that they were working with as spiritual issues. Um, I had people that defined. Um, the issues that they worked with as you know as spiritual abuse as having experienced spiritual abuse uh some people were actively uh working through their um relationship to their religiosity and spirituality but you know there there there's surely someone that could come along and and look at uh, a particular person that was coming to see me for therapy who may not have defined the issues that they were working with as Religious or spiritual, but that to that outside person, they would say, "Oh, that that is that's all about uh, spiritual issues," or or maybe they would say, "Those are all about existential issues." And whether whether they would make a difference, make a distinction, there is a whole other
1: right. That's that's really interesting to me. I I'm going to get maybe more personal than is appropriate, but many years ago, I was in therapy for a little while, for a few months. And I remember that um, because I am a practicing Buddhist, I remember that when I was looking around for a therapist, I said, well, I would like somebody who's a Buddhist, <laughs> basically. And and I remember when I went into his office, I was pleased because he had a tanka of the medicine Buddha uh, on his wall. But then once the therapy started, I don't think we really did anything with, with spiritual issues. Now I don't remember. It was years ago. But... Um,
0: I'd be so curious to know how that, you know, would play out today and, um, you know, because, because you were saying this many years ago and I, you know, I suspect that, you know, that we could probably track the way some of these changes have taken place in terms of how therapists are, you know, respond to somebody's religious affiliation, identity, practice, et cetera, you know, over, over the last few decades, they've, you know, that's changed radically. And, um, and I see that in, in my teaching of graduate students and counseling I I can see how from addition of, of textbook to addition to textbook that has changed. And we can see that in the DSM. um, And, and, and I should say that, that, that those kind of issues I, I, I am interested in, in, continuing to do research on in general. I, you know, I think, I think of my religious studies research as having an umbrella topic of how psychotherapists and psychotherapeutic stuff affects the way people are religious today and the, uh, and vice versa. And, uh, and, you know, I, 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 I hope to be able to explore some of these more general topics uh, over time.
1: Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And, and, Yes, based on my experience as a as a sample of one, uh, things certainly certainly have changed a lot over over the course of these decades uh, in in that relationship. Um, maybe maybe I'll I'll head back more into the actual material of your book at this point. So so you define um, six different approaches that psychotherapists have have taken to uh to buddhist traditions if if that's the right way to say it and i thought maybe that would be a nice way uh, kind of an outline for for how we could proceed so so let me just mention them um and and then we can go into them and see where that takes us so you say that um psychotherapists have have therapized buddhism have filtered it have translated it have personalized it have adopted it or have integrated it um, and, um, I, I, think I learned a lot, uh, in, in reading your book, um, about how that, you know, about those different possibilities, because I certainly wouldn't have been able to tease all those different categories out myself. Um, so, so let's start with the first, uh, psychotherapists, therapizing Buddhist, can, Buddhism. Can you say something about that?
0: Absolutely. I mean, the first thing I always try to really stress as, as strongly as I can is that these categories are totally artificial. They're, <laughs> they are just a hopefully helpful rubric to try to map out uh, the diversity of ways that therapists have approached Buddhist traditions uh, throughout history. And and that's one of the main things I'm trying to convey in the book is that, at a, especially at a time right now where uh, I think I as I say in the in the, in the book, conversations about mindfulness practices can kind of uh, you know swallow everything up like a black hole. Um, there there have been a, a diversity of ways beyond incorporating mindfulness practices that therapists have approached Buddhist traditions. And uh, a, another central argument I make is that the Ways and that diversity of ways that they approach Buddhist traditions can uh, can be sort of mapped out by the or they're generated, I should say, from the various ways that therapists have defined what is and is not religious to them. And so each of these categories is named after that. So uh, and and each of the, the, the of the titles for the categories that I gave comes from the interviews and reading I did uh, from, um, of therapists themselves. So it's, it's their language, uh, to, to a large degree. So well, to, to get at what I'm saying about, about how definitions of religious and not religious shape the way, uh, therapy, therapists approach Buddhist traditions, we can, we can start with, um, uh, I can start by doing what you've asked and me to say something about therapizing religion first. And so in, in, when, when I say that therapists therapize religion, what I'm saying there is, is that you have different therapists who believe that a certain uh, element, a teaching, a practice, a text, uh, is religious. And for a variety of reasons, based on how they'd want to define themselves as a practitioner, how, how invested they are often in being defined as not religious practitioners. Uh, they will therapize that religious element. And what that means is that they'll evaluate that teaching, text, or practice based on their understand, using psycho, not just psychological ideas, but psychotherapeutic ideas about illness and health. So uh, some of the earliest therapists to take an interest in Buddhist tradition uh, Um, Some took therapizing religion approaches. So people like Carl Jung, uh, I say therapized uh, religion in in, in his approach to Buddhist traditions. And so what he did is he looked at particular ideas like the idea of rebirth and uh, used therapeutic ideas about the collective unconscious, uh, our will maybe to return to, a narcissistic state of the of the womb and and childhood development to interpret this is what this idea of rebirth is really about for uh for buddhists and um the earliest therapists did take these therapizing religion approaches but uh, uh therapists to this day will therapize uh various buddhist teachings and practices a, amongst the other approaches that they'll take to Buddhist traditions, you'll regularly hear people say uh, they'll assert that Buddhist practi- you know, practice is based on, uh, for example, inhibition of certain emotions like desire or anger, which is which is uh, potentially a, a problematic claim, but but many people do believe that, and but, and they'll say, let's look at, at how psychotherapy, how psychologically healthy that is. Uh, to inhibit an emotion like desire or anger, and uh, and some, you know some therapists will uh, choose what they do and do not incorporate into their psychotherapeutic uh, models based on those uh, therapizing religion conclusions.
1: Okay, that that makes sense. And um, let me ask you: I'm going to skip a, for a moment here, but how's that different from translating? Uh, Buddhist traditions. That was the third category you mentioned.
0: Sure. So in translating religion uh, um, approaches, therapists will take a particular teaching and practice and tr- attempt to translate it into a non-religious what they define as not religious item so as to incorporate it into therapy. So they might therapize a particular practice as as well as translate it. But when we're we're therapizing, when a therapist is, 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 is therapizing a Buddhist, uh, teaching, they are evaluating it using psychotherapeutic ideas, analyzing it using psychotherapeutic ideas. And, uh, when we're, when, when a therapist is translating, uh, a Buddhist practice, it's, it's usually for the purpose of actually incorporating it into therapy. I, I say that the, these approaches came out of a desire to both incorporate Buddhist practices while remaining not religious. And so, uh, they, you know, uh, someone like Carl Jung, would, would ne- it would never have even occurred to him to incorporate it to incorporate a Buddhist practice into actual therapy. He was, he, he, he knew that, that people in, uh, uh, of European descent were taking up Buddhist practices and he addressed that and thought that alone was really, really problematic. Uh, but he, but the idea of, of incorporating into psychotherapy would, it would not, it, it wouldn't even have occurred to him. Uh, so he, so he was all doing everything from afar, but later therapists were thinking these ideas um, should be incorporated into therapy in a variety of ways. And, uh, but they need, they need to be tra- translated. The, the, the religiosity has to be removed from them before they can be incorporated into, into clinical work.
1: Okay. Okay. I think so I, I, I understand.
0: Mindfulness, mindfulness practices is just the most famous example of, uh, translating religion practices. And so the chapter that looks at translating religion, uh, uh, approaches, I mean, uh, focuses on mindfulness practices as a case study.
1: When you talk about translating versus therapizing, then, if I understand correctly, the psychotherapists who therapized Buddhism, in a way, they were they were standing not only outside it, but standing above it, saying, here's what the Buddhists were really doing. You know, here's what was really going on. Um, and I'm going to make, you know, I, that may be valuable, um, but um, it, it, they were not taking in any way a, a Buddhist stance, whereas translating, it, it's more kind of a level of equality. Is is that a fair description?
0: I I, I would I definitely wouldn't uh, define translating religion approaches as when that when therapists take translating religion approaches, they're thinking of it in terms of. Equality, though there are therapists who are very concerned with that idea of equality, so maybe we can come back to that. Here's the first thing I would say and really emphasize: what 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 I'm describing are the way that therapists imagine their relationship to be to be to Buddhist traditions. So I borrowed a phrase to convey this distance I'm describing with therapizing religion approaches from a, uh, from, from one of, uh, uh, someone I consider to be at least a, a somewhat a, a mentor, a woman named Anne Harrington, um, who has written uh, on this topic. has been very generous with her time with me. And, uh, she used the phrase look, but don't touch. Uh, and so, uh, certainly that was Jung's attitude was, Although he he did touch some and experimented some, which starts to to to, to, to get to the point, uh, but but what he said was we we that uh, people of European descent could study Buddhist teachings and practices. There were things to learn from them uh, as long as they were evaluated and and, and uh, through uh, the frame of of psychotherapeutic uh, understanding. But, we, but, but but people from Euro, of European descent shouldn't touch these these practices. Uh, it, w- it, would, um, it would be ultimately impossible for them to authentically practice uh, uh, a, a Buddhist path while uh, and so but but the thing is is that he's still touching this, even when he's imagining that there's a distance there he, he's still being influenced by that study and so the, so the idea that that one can cannot be influenced. That one can can draw a hard boundary line and 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 restrict Buddhist uh, teachings from 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 entering their psychotherapy, even as they're studying those psycho, you know, studying those Buddhist texts is, I think, uh, an idea we want to be at the at the least curious about. When it comes to therapists taking a taking translating religion approaches, what I would say is, is that some of them explicitly say, um, quote unquote, we need to make these practices ours, which definitely also seems to set up a, uh, hierarchical sort of relationship where there's an evaluation of, you know, what is, uh, what is religious here and what is helpful here and, and what needs to be translated uh, into therapy and, 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 and whatnot. So I, I still think that there's an imagined hierarchical relationship, but time and again, in each ch- chapter of the book, I, I try to show the relational configurations that therapists imagine that they're making between Buddhist and psychotherapeutic, religious and not religious, whether that not religious be secular, scientific, medical, so on, uh, and the way in which those relationships break down.
1: Mhm. Okay so so therapists may have one view of what's going on but but if you look at how they actually work in practice you're saying it may be rather different.
0: In part I think that is what I'm saying. Yes.
1: Yeah. Let me let me as you were speaking I started thinking of an analogy and maybe uh I, I'm not sure it's so helpful but let me try it out and see how you'd fit that in this these different categories. So suppose that uh you know, you become familiar, someone becomes familiar with another culture and they have a way of preparing food um, and they have certain recipes they follow and, and, and um, you know, and they get some very tasty food <laughs> as a result. And then you look at it and you say, well, that's really interesting. Maybe I could do that, but, you know, I'm going to have to really adapt it because we don't have the same spices. We don't... Um, use the same cooking methods, you know, um, but I think there's something there. I think I can make a really good meal if I do this. How would you compare that? Or is that at all a good comparison? I
0: like that a lot. And, you know, I use the metaphor of a a recipe myself actually in the translating religion uh, chapter, the chapter that, that, that focuses on translating religion approaches to Buddhist traditions Except the way that I was thinking of it, of that metaphor, was there are some people that say, if you take up a certain Buddhist concept or a certain Buddhist practice, regardless of why you take it up or the context with which you take it up, so a therapist in in, in their office, a corporate raider in their office... If whatever, whatever the context and whatever the motive, maybe the motive is to, uh, uh, to is, is, is a, as a military uh, officer trying to calm themselves so that they can, you know, have better aim. But like a recipe, if you follow the recipe precisely, if you if you whatever the motive and whatever the context, it will still have the same result. These people, the argument from some of the therapists I spoke to is regardless of the motive regardless of the concept context if they if they do it properly they will this practice or this teaching is going to in, bring various results such as enlightenment uh, right. and so you know uh in, in the example that in, in the way that you were using the metaphor the question is well what if you change some of the ingredients and i think that when, if you talk about changing the ingredients, some people will say, well, the result is always going to be different because the ingredients are different. It may be a, rela- it may be a cousin. It may be related and may, it may have certain resemblances, but it won't actually be, uh, the same, the same result. So the, so the in, in enlightenment experiences would be, would be different or the, the, uh, in, insights that would, that would be, that would be, uh, cultivated would be different. The comp- the compassion that that was, and loving kindness that you know would would come up would would be different in some way. I think this these are some of the conversations that people are that therapists are are having. Is does the context matter? Does the motive matter? Do the precise ingredients matter?
1: Okay, yeah, that's, I think that is, that is helpful. That's great. Let me, it, it leads me to ask a question about context um, in, in the broadest sense, and I'm thinking here of something that uh, I believe you quote David McMahon as saying, which is that the, the context, the traditional Buddhist context, you could say, um, was really not about getting along better in your life, you know, learning to be more at ease, learning to be more present even, but, but really cutting through the, um, the, the ordinary way of engaging the world. And, and really, you know, leaving home, as it says in the traditional Buddhist texts, you know, rather than trying to adjust or accommodate or, or expand what it's like to live at home. If if we use that analogy, you know, you don't just add another house onto your, uh, your another room onto your house, but you move to another country. You know? um, so so in that sense, the context is really different. It, uh, it, do therapists worry about that or discuss that?
0: So if I understand your question correctly, generally, I think you're asking, does context matter? And uh david McMahon is a, is is a, a major influence on my work. He was actually an outside reader on my dissertation committee, and uh he has has written and, and spoken a, a a great deal about how the context with which people take up various meditation practices does matter uh you know, tremendously. And I think that that therapists are also uh discussing that question, you know. It seems hard to deny that it, that the context is is not going to have a, a, a major influence. The, the the example that I always think of is one that 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 I feel like doesn't get talked about enough, and that is a word I used a few moments ago, and that's rebirth. So, if you believe that the 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 way that the universe works is through a constant process of, of karmic cause and effect and that we are going we're, we're all bound up in that and are going to be reborn based on that that, that series of karmic cause, cause and effect and you believe that that is a kind of ensnarement that you're looking to escape and that is just a different worldview, view that's a different understanding of time and 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 reality than someone that believes something very different And if one is taking up certain practices or taking up a certain path in order to try to escape karmic ensnarement, that's a very different, uh, a motive. This is something very very much different that you're bringing to the practice, uh, we might say, than someone who is looking to soothe their anxiety symptoms. But again, there are people that say, well, regardless of, what the, the those two individuals maybe or those two communities uh may be thinking that they're doing as they're taking up those practices it's all going to lead to the same thing and and they'll you'll you'll hear people interpret uh therapize the concept of rebirth and uh to say that actually what's actually happening here is they're going to be achieving a different ex Kind of well-being and so will the person in the in the therapy office and so th- there are debates going on about about, about those questions um, there's there's much more to be said about that, but hopefully that's enough of a, of a, a to, to pique people's interest to to find more on on those questions in the book.
1: Right. Yeah. I, it, there's much more to be said. One of the things that struck me about your book is there's just so much material in it. And, you know, there's so many different ways that that therapists have been engaging Buddhism. It, it, it just is a, a vast topic, but I think you've done a great job of, of laying it out in the way that people can really begin to explore on their own. Thanks so, so
0: much. I really um, appreciate it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, Okay, well, let's go back and, uh, well, no, let me ask one more question about that. Um, there's someone else that you quote, uh, and and it really has to do with this distinction between um, liberation or or enlightenment as a goal and self-realization as a goal. Uh, and, and that is also a kind of context question, isn't it? Are you practicing with self-realization in mind, or are you practicing with Uh, what should we call it? An escape from samsara in mind.
0: Yes. It's so the first chapter after the introduction, the first chapter of the book tries to lay out the different terms that I'm working with. I've said that I'm trying to learn more about how people define what is and is not religious by looking at how communities of therapists define what isn't not religious and and, and the way it shapes their behavior in how they approach Buddhist tradition. So in that first chapter, I look at what I call therapist's conventional definition of religion and categories of the not religious, like science, medicine, so on. But the the final uh, really set of concepts that I lay out in that first chapter is what we might call ultimate aims, no, I'm blanking. I think it was Tillich that referred to the to 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 ultimate aims, right? Um,
1: right. Ultimate, ultimate, concern. ultimate, yeah. ultimate
0: concerns and and so uh, for therapists, many people, you know, for many therapists, the 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 aim of therapy is health, and but different therapists define health to mean very different things. For some people, the the aim, ult, the aim of therapy, the result of therapy, or the result of human existence, is supposed to be you know to, to achieve a state of of ultimate health uh, but but that he- health could be wholeness it could be this concept this word well-being or it could be enlightenment for some therapists they said uh, they will say if you are adopting a medical model where the only thing you're working towards is trying to reduce someone's symptoms to get rid of an illness then you are, potentially even doing harm to that person, when instead you should be attending to their full flourishing. And what is that full flourishing? Some therapists would say that is a, a uh, Buddhist-defined enlightenment. Now, not escape from samsara, but a very, various therapists have, con- have defined that, that concept of enlightenment in very different ways. It might be self-liberation. Uh, it might be interconnectedness. Uh, and so on.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I understand the point you're making, and and I and one of the reasons it gets a little complicated is that um, you know people, as you point out, uh, in Buddhist communities, people in their understanding of Buddhism is shaped by what therapists have had to say about Buddhism, and and then therapists who look at what's being taught in the Buddhist tradition are drawing on contemporary teachers who are already incorporating some psychological ideas. So it becomes, in a way, difficult to to maintain the separation. I mean, they tend to blend into each other.
0: I think this is a really important point that can often get missed as people sort of can debate about what is authentically Buddhist or not, is that the, the Buddhist communities, the Buddhist teachings and practices that the vast majority of psychotherapists you know, have encountered, and then are deciding, you know? Maybe I, I base a whole therapy around this around this Buddhist doctrine I'm learning about, or maybe I can't do that because that would make my my therapy religious. So, but maybe I can kind of adopt it or or hold it in my heart in a session. So, and et cetera. Et cetera. The Buddhist doctrine, the Buddhist uh, teachings and practices that we're talking about there, are introduced in very particular Buddhist communities by and large, what are, you know, uh, it's debatable if this, is, if this is the best term, but what is often referred to as convert Buddhist communities. So um, in, in Buddhist communities that are populated with, largely by people of European descent who have were not raised by uh, people that d- identified as Buddhists, that is already med- meditation-centric, is using English language texts, etc., Rather than the you know the um, the, the the Laotian uh, immigrant community Buddhist temple that might be down the street, uh, they're they're learning a uh, you know here in Nashville they're 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 being introduced to uh, Buddhist teachings and practices in those convert uh, Buddhist communities and and those Buddhist communities understanding of what is enlightenment is very different from or what the purpose of practices are is different from that Laotian temple, which would be concerned with things like merit making and, and propitiation divinities and so on. And so now, though, so already when they're thinking about how do I translate this Buddhist doctrine or how do I hold this Buddhist concept, in, you know, silently within my person in a session or so how do I adopt this Buddhist practice w- w- when they're, they're, they're thinking about those Buddhist practices and, te- and teachings as defined by those convert Buddhist communities, uh, which to some you know, S- S- Buddhist study scholars of his- historical Buddhist traditions already seem very different from uh, w- what has historically been defined as, as Buddhist teachings and, and practices. And, and then we take it one, one step further to note that those same convert Buddhist communities are themselves often, you know, ha- have been led by or founded by psycho psych- psychotherapists like Jack Cornfield, uh, and so, you know, it, it it gets to me super fascinating and interesting when we start you know, thinking about the the nature of all of this when we when we take all of that into consideration.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It's very interesting and, and very rich. Um, well, let's go back. Let I, I want to get back into your scheme for analyzing this. And we skipped over psychotherapists who, who filter Buddhism. Can you say something about that?
0: Sure. So uh, filtering, Buddha, uh, uh, filtering uh, religion approaches to, to Buddhist traditions is where uh, therapists, psychologists believe that they can take scientific, uh, psychological uh, tools and instruments and filter out the religiosity from a uh, particular teaching or, or practice. So there are a lot, uh, this is in the chapter that treats this, I spend a lot of time on, on the neuroscientific study of uh, Buddhist meditation. And there are, I I, I quote psychotherapists are really excited about that research. And what they're, what they're saying is because this research shows a particular practice to be efficacious, it means that it's it, it can be used and without in a non-religious context. And so the idea is is that uh, scientific uh, uh, methods and, and instruments can filter away the religiosity from Buddhist teachings and practices, uh, and uh, can leave aside sort of a sort of filtered. Essence to the the Buddhist uh, to Buddhist traditions, akin to sort of a a, a filtered coffee. So <laughs> okay. I say that you know I, I, I look at you know neuroscientific studies of uh, Buddhist uh, uh, traditions in that chapter, but I I also argue that th- that neuroscientific study is the latest iteration of. What a discipline that called science this psychology of religion, and i I also look at that history in the in the chapter as well, the way the first psychologists of religion uh, approached Buddhist traditions, folks like William James and James Bissett pratt
1: okay yeah I, I so the example that comes to my mind, and I think you refer to it, but you don't go into the details is um something that Don Lopez writes about uh, an example that he opens. A chapter in a book about, um, uh, you know, where scientists have a, a, a monk meditating in their lab and he's doing a very complex visualization. He's a Tibetan monk. And, and you know, for him, I, I mean, the visualization is what it's all about. But all they're doing is measuring his body temperatures, see whether doing the visualization has an impact on the body temperature. It, it, it does seem like you're missing something kind of fundamental when you do that, when you filter, I mean, it seems like that's a possible danger, right?
0: Well, that's, that is one of the things that therapists are sort of uh, debating about, you know? So uh, some therapists would say, well, that, that imaginary, that, that, that Buddhist monk is engaged with when they're, they're visualizing uh, these vast cosmography, Buddhist cosmographies, uh, you know, that, that, and, that play that the, that that monk is engaged in is serves a psychotherapeutic purpose, but it's not literally real. And it's important that uh, that at some point that monk comes to reality that that's not literally real. They they, they need to come out of that uh, uh, illusion in order to be fully healthy. I see. Uh,
1: I see. Yeah. yeah,
0: there are some therapists. There are some therapists that would say that. There are other therapists that would say there there there, there is something that's being removed and excised when when that's not attended to. Uh, and uh, although when, when we're talking about that example, there are few. There are few. There there are. There, in fact, there was no therapist that I read or interviewed uh, or heard speaking at a conference that said, you know uh bodhisattva the, the the super mundane powers of of bodhisattvas are uh literally real and attainable uh uh there are some that still wanted to a- a- attend to those to, to that imagery and iconography but still perceived it to be as metaphors
1: okay well that yeah i i guess that's right uh, uh, unless we well in your last categories maybe that'll become an issue again but um okay let's 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 take a look at the fourth one because I think this is also really important important the the fourth category you have is is uh, a therapist who personalize um Buddhist traditions so what do you have in mind there? what do you discuss there
0: sure and i, I kind of referred to it earlier uh there are therapists out there that you know sh- sh- share that they have been deeply deeply touched by by Buddhist teachings and practices, some who say that they've been utterly transformed by Buddhist experiences. But to an outside observer, looking at their therapy sessions, that outside observer may may have no idea that that person is a Buddhist, that that therapist may believe that there's something, you know, essentially, to use that word again, Buddhist about their sessions, but there's no mention of buddhist teachings and practices there's, there's, there's no incorporation of buddhist uh, uh practices and so again to the outside observer uh it, it, they would have no sense that there that, that, that there's anything buddhist about the uh, about those sessions and uh and i should say that, that some therapists I, I i was referring to some therapists who believe that the sessions are still at at heart uh t- t- to use that phrase uh Deeply uh, uh, Buddhist, but there are some that say no. My Buddhist path is separate from my psychotherapeutic path. I keep those two things separate. I I may even lead a Buddhist community, and uh, you know some some of some of the people that I read and interviewed uh, are this case where they they lead Buddhist communities. They they teach people in uh, in meditation, but they see all of that as totally separate. From their from their Buddhist practice, uh, and instead, it's all held silently within their person, and uh, and thus I call that personalizing Buddhist uh, traditions. Uh, you know, some of the early seeds of that kind of attitude, I say, is in the work of people like Eric Fromm, who believed that therapists, analysts, should study Buddhist uh, teachings and practices. It, it, it might take you know, practice meditation in their "Quote unquote personal life, uh, how and and that those teach those insights should be incorporated into into psychoanalysis, but wouldn't actually have a you know a a a, uh, some, a an, an analysis and meditate in a therapy session. For the most part, these were uh, folks like Eric Fromm were engaging with with Buddhist teachings on a theoretical level, and that theoretical engagement would again remain in their mind uh, r- remain in, in them internally. And for, in the case of Fromm, he believed that, uh, that, that Buddhist tr- traditions were an example of a humanistic religion. And so uh, I take it one step further that for, for him, authentic religiosity was personalized humanistic religiosity. There's a lot more to be said about that point, but, uh, again, hopefully it's enough to peak. To be- uh, a listener's interest.
1: Yeah, no, that that's really that's really good. You know, and one of the examples, one of the things you point out that I certainly have never thought of, uh, because it's kind of a professional issue, is that a lot of therapists are in circumstances where, uh, you know, somebody has to be paying for this therapy session—an insurance company or whoever—and so there may be going to be disinclined to have someone meditate in a therapy session because someone who's looking at that through a two-way mirror will recognize that as a religious practice. And then there's a risk uh, that they, they may not authorize payment on it.
0: Yeah. This is is another hugely important uh, point that I emphasize throughout the book and uh, is one of my central findings that I describe in in my conclu- in the conclusion to the book, and that is, you know, therapists are in a, constantly maneuvering with a variety of institutional affiliations and authorities. So, uh, so a therapist that identifies, I was referring to psychoanalysts earlier. A a, a, a therapist that identifies as a psychoanalyst is going to approach what. Uh, elements that they think of as religious in a very different way from a therapist that identifies as transpersonal. If they're trying to belong to that community and or, or um, uh, belong, you know, have membership in certain associations, they're going to be thinking of, of of those in in those terms. And and then there are many others. If you work in a hospital setting versus in private practice, if you're uh, you know, uh, negotiating with a insurance utilization review, if you're thinking in terms of state laws, uh, in some cases, you're going to be thinking all all of those factors contribute to the decisions that therapists make when they are approaching material that they believe is religious as they are, uh, Uh, thinking of themselves as not religious practitioners, or in some cases, not so religious practitioners. And so those institutional authorities, those institutional factors are constantly at work, whether they be economic uh, 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 motives at at play there, or uh, identity uh, issues, just how I identify and want to identify myself. Uh, the self-surveillance I, 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 I'm under or the actual surveillance a, 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 in a in a sense that a supervisor might be uh, uh, engaged in looking through that two-way uh, mirror, although uh, supervisors rarely use those two-way mirrors these days. So. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, it looks very different from the point of view of the therapist and the point of view of the person who seeks out therapy, right? Because they're not going to be thinking
0: about these issues, but, but um well they, yeah. they, well, they might be. So, uh, in in fact, I think that is one of the major factors at at, at work here is that there are some people that are ex- expressively looking for not religious help uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, they are looking for a therapist. Uh, they may have belonged to a religious community of some sort and and have found that to be. Uh, helpful in some ways or hurtful in in other ways. And they're looking for a practitioner that they would define as being not religious. And so it would be disturbing to them to think that they, you know, were sitting across from somebody that is, um, you know, incorporating something that, that that they define to be religious or vice versa. So staying with, you know, just going through the different approaches. One of the things I found most interesting about therapists that, that, um, you know, we'll take sometimes uh, personalizing religion approaches, amongst other, because many therapists are using multiple approaches at the same time. But is that, you know, uh, they may be sought out, some of those therapists may be sought out precisely because they have a, they're a public f- figure as leader of a Buddhist community, or they've published on, you know, books on Zen and psychotherapy. One of my, one of, one of my uh, interviewees, or a couple of them Polly Young and and, and Barry Magid uh, um they you know they've published books on zen and psycho you know with titles like zen and psychotherapy and so a, a person who is looking for a therapist who does that kind of work might see that they've written those books and seek them out precisely because that they, you know they've written those books but if they did or at least at, at one point, if they when I did the interviews with them, um, it, it, if they did, they'd be told. Actually, if you're interested in that, um, you'll, you'll want to come to my medit- into my zendo, or we can you know set up some meditation teaching. Uh, but here, in, 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 when we're doing therapy, that's its own thing, and and that wouldn't be here. So I do think that you know the expectations of the people of the, the of the help seeker are very much at play. Uh, because it, it, those conversations are also influencing what therapists are doing. As as I say, more and more people might be seeking out somebody right. for okay. their this work. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I understand that, and it sounds like uh, you know, if we take a look at the final two categories that you discuss, it, that might be exactly where you see a shift. Because then the fifth category is therapists who who have adopted Buddhism or Buddhist teachings. So so there it would be up front, right?
0: Yes, uh, so so you know I talk about how psychotherapists have taken what I call adopting religion approaches to Buddhist traditions in a few different ways. Um, in in this chapter, I I don't just talk about therapists who you know f- might fully adopt Buddhist teachings and practices as the basis of their therapists uh, of their therapies, and so they're explicitly maybe talking about. They're the um, four noble truths, as, as again as they understand them, having been introduced to them in, the, in these convert Buddhist communities. Um, it, it, you know, so there are those therapists uh, who I define as adopting religion, taking adopting religion approaches. But I also talk about therapists who, are uh, talk about Buddhist communities there and uh, how they are adopting how therapists who belong to Buddhist communities may be. Uh, Maybe you know, uh, in again, in their personal life, having you know, fully adopted kind of a Buddhist identity, while uh, maybe not in in their practice. So I talk about that as well.
1: Okay, no, so I, I, I I see that difference, and and is that then are we kind of moving on a scale? And then when we get to the sixth category of therapists who've integrated Buddhist traditions, is that more? you know, where in a therapy session, they would actually be bringing up Buddhist themes?
0: Well, I try very hard to to not think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely because, you know, again, so, you know, the person that who is adopting, who believes that they are fully adopting Buddhist doctrine um, into their therapy, you know, a a Buddhist studies scholar might come along and say, that's just as, quote unquote, secularized as anything else, you know. (laughs) And so um and so you know uh and so but I, what what i would say is is that uh is that therapists do think about it in terms of those scales and you know do think about you know uh therapists as, uh, can, will observe each other and say this person is more or less buddhist and, and, and am i being engaged in that uh in the, the final category I, I do call integrating religion approaches to buddhist traditions and and there, you know, we could say that, 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 that all these approach, uh, approaches are in some, in one way or another, uh, integrating uh, uh, approaches. But, but the, the distinction I make for the, for the sake of the chapter is, is that here is where therapists are intentionally and actively believe that they are uh, integrating or synthesizing they use, uh, I list there's about 10 different, you know, words we could use here. uh, And, and therapists dislike integrating or they'll like it different synthesizing or they're uh, for different reasons uh, to describe what they're doing. But, but, but the point is, is that they will believe that the therapy uh, is distinct, is both distinctly Buddhist and distinctly psychotherapeutic at the same time. And they're trying to maintain, um, that sense of differentiation and incorporation at the same time and, and in a variety of sort of ways.
1: Okay. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't want to take too much more of your time. So I think that's probably a good place to end, except for a coda. Uh, let me just ask you where you're going now. What kind of work are you doing now?
0: Well, you know I, I am continuing to, to, to be engaged in this work looking uh, as I'm, talking about the book and I'm trying to talk about some of the, of the of the topics that are kind of most live uh around uh these issues such as um informed consent is what I'm currently writing for uh for psychology today um uh you know the the question of how well in, in particularly in the case of mindfulness practices are therapists under an ethical obligation not just to give informed consent around the possible benefits and possible negative side effects of uh, mind, therapeutic mindfulness practices, but their origins as um, in their minds, potentially religious or Buddhist, so on. So I'll continue to engage in, 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 in those kind of topics. Um, but my, my next major research project is looking at the concept of spirituality, this, this term spirituality the work that it does for therapists, and the way it's changed over time, and how psychothera- psychotherapists and, and, and have contributing have contributed to the, the, the changing understanding of what is this concept of spirituality, um, including you know the the relatively um, new idea that it's something distinguished from religion you know, most of the therapists I wrote about in, in, in prescribing the Dharma, and I do trace, I do some of this work in prescribing the Dharma, if people are interested in in the, in, in this topic, it's one of those terms that I trace throughout the book. Um, most of the therapists I write about in, in prescribing the Dharma use the word spiritual as a synonym for religion. But there may be some unconscious ways in which we can see the seeds of uh, how the, the current dominant understanding that spirituality is something different from religion um, uh, we're laid in what therapists have said about uh, spirituality and uh, and that's what's kind of that's some of what I'm tracing today in my next project
1: okay that that really sounds interesting and and, and it, I can't help but ask one more question since it raises that for me and that is Um, You you mentioned that there will be therapists, there are therapists who will say, well, the work that I do as a therapist is spiritual, or might even say the work that I do as a therapist is religious, if you take a broad enough sense of what is meant by religion. Um, And and I was a little surprised to to hear that. Can you say a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, this is again, you know, the title of my book is Prescribing the Dharma, Psychotherapists, Buddhist Traditions and Defining Religion. And you, you know, what you're, what, what you're asking about is precisely that last part of the subtitle, you know, the way in which uh, communities uh, in the U S define what is and is not religious. So for some, I, I think that therapists are, are, are an ideal community in some way, or I mean, communities of therapists are, are are in some ways ideal for religious study scholars to to study this uh, changing definitions of what is and is not religion, this relatively new concept in human history, uh, because they will uh, actively engage with the work that I'm doing right now is meant to, for a long time, this concept of self-realization was, was was essential to many, many therapists. There are reasons why you hear less talking, less talk about self-actualization and self-realization in uh, you know the last decade or two, uh, but for many people that th- 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 they again, as I referred to earlier, would say you, a, a a therapy that's based on a medical model about illness is is actually doing harm to people. We need to help people to self actualize. And what is religion to uh, to th- a therapist like Fromm? Uh, or Jung and, a, and, and Fromm would want me to emphasize in a very different way. They would say the heart of religion is actually self-actualization. And so in a way, authentic psychotherapy is meant to achieve what religious traditions to Jung and Fromm were meant to achieve. And that's this idea of self, self-actualization or self-realization. And so th- they were very much actively thinking with this. I mean, the, you know, Jung believed that, um, R- religion, you know, believed in, in in this in this idea that society was under a, a, secular, a process of secularization, and that religious traditions were ultimately going to fall away. And he seemed to believe that his analytical psychology was going to take its place <laughs> as fulfilling what religious traditions once did. All that to say, we can learn a lot about. What you know, uh, how people define um, the the trajectory of society. You know, people believe this secularization narrative for, for a long time, and we can, uh, people uh, believe that religious traditions are defined in this way and that way over time. And and we can learn more about these concepts by by looking at communities of psychotherapists, religious study scholars. Can I, I mean, and anyone else interested? And I you know, the way that they have approached Buddhist traditions is just one case study with which to do that
1: okay that, that that really is interesting and it sounds like it's going to be a central theme in your in your next book so we'll leave it there um we've been talking with ira helderman and his book is called prescribing the dharma so ira thanks a lot for taking the time and um thanks for the work that you're doing
0: oh thank you so much for the opportunity this has been wonderful